to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. We're beginning the book of Exodus tonight. Um, excited about this, uh, this study. And um, uh, we're going to get through two chapters. So we're not going to be digging in too, too deep tonight. But we are going to be getting through some information. And I've titled tonight, uh, Dark Days. Dark Days. I don't know if you remember just about a week ago here in the city, uh, we had this storm that came through uh, and you're like going, which one, right? You know, like which, which storm? And, and, uh, and, but there was one in particular, like I was, it was sunny and it was really bright outside until about one or two and then it just went dark. And I remember I went outside and took pictures of the clouds because I was like, oh no, what's happening? Like, there's something going on. I think is the day that we got the, the warning, uh, the tornado warning, and uh, it was dark. Like, I had to turn on the lights in my house because I didn't know, like, what was going on outside, and it was a dark day. There's been other dark days in uh, our nation, hasn't there? 9-11 was a very dark day. Most of you know where you were sitting, where you were at, as you saw the tragedy of our city. We've seen dark days as shootings have come across our nation and all these things, dark days. It's a dark day in, in our nation, I think, as a whole. As we open up the Bible tonight and we look at uh, uh, Exodus, we're gonna see that these are dark days in the life of the children of Israel. Dark days ahead um, in, in the, the, the nation of Israel um, as a people. Now, um, many of you, uh, as you think about Moses, uh, you, you kind of you paint him into uh, your, your thoughts of the, the um, Walt Disney picture, you know, the movie uh, Prince of Egypt. How many of you have seen that? That's what we kind of think of when we think of Moses. You know, he's this charming guy, handsome, kind of, kind of athletic and, and humorous, uh, fun-loving guy, right? But, but as we go through this book, we're going to discover that this depiction isn't quite uh, accurate. That Moses was a real man with real struggles, some of which he didn't handle very well in the midst of his time in, in this book. It's a story of a man who is, in spite of his shortcomings, used greatly by God. It's about God's sovereignty in the midst of life's difficulties. You see, Exodus is a continuation of the book of Genesis. We just finished that book last week. And I call this part two of a series of of five parts. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. And, and this is part two of, uh, of something that God is trying to speak to us, trying to teach us in the midst of all of those books. And that's that God is in control and he, he has a plan and he's going to work it through in our lives and he's going to show us the way. Genesis to Deuteronomy, the, the Pentateuch, where God is threading a message together for us of his sovereignty. If you remember back to our study last week in Genesis, 
we were ending out with the study of the life of Joseph, remember? Uh, remember, there was this severe famine in the land, so severe that Jacob and his sons and, his, uh, and, and their family came to Egypt, where Joseph provided for their every need, right? Joseph had found favor in the eyes of God as well as the eyes of Pharaoh, and God began to multiply the children of, of Israel. They started to, to, plant, uh, to reproduce and, and multiply in that land. You see, God's blessing and favor was, was with them. God wanted them to be in Egypt. But God didn't want them to be a part of Egypt. He wanted them to be set apart for him. But little, did, little do we know that, that Egypt in slavery will now slowly creep into the lives of, of the, the children of Israel. Just like sin so easily creeps into our life. This book, Exodus, is a book of redemption. Exodus literally means exit, to exit, to go out. And, and we're going to see how God is going to take Moses and he's going to use Moses to, to lead them out of Egypt, out of, out of bondage, just as Christ came to lead us out of bondage. We will see God's, God rescue um, Moses from death multiple times. We'll see him lead, lead, lead them out of Egypt and we will also see that desperate that we're desperate for we're desperate with a weakness in our life and that's called sin that there's that there's it's easy for us to to fall into to sin ourselves to fall into slavery and bondage just by giving way to to sin yet god will continue to pour out his his mercy upon moses and his grace upon his people for us, Egypt is a picture of slavery, a picture of sin. And little do we know, oftentimes that sin is creeping in, it's creeping its way into our lives. So let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, all his brothers, and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. God began to multiply, like he said in Genesis chapter 12, that I'm going to multiply your numbers. And now God is doing it. He began with 70, and now there's, there's thousands of them filling uh, Egypt. These names are the tribal leaders of the children of Israel. If you remember, these are the 12 sons of Jacob. Just as God promised Abraham 
that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand of the sea, God was fulfilling his promise. The children of Israel were multiplying rapidly, as it says at the end of verse 7. And they, were, they, began exceedingly, they became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. Now, this large number of Hebrew people became a huge concern for Pharaoh. Can you imagine? They start to outnumber you in in, in race, and and he he begins to worry. Now, this is a different Pharaoh. We're going to find out in just a second. This is a different Pharaoh than, than the one that was with Joseph. It, it was a threat, no doubt, to his power. But Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Joseph's day wouldn't have done anything, would he? He invited them in. He welcomed them in and said, this is your land. Yet kings don't last forever, do they? Now, I want you to understand that there, uh, there was 300 years between the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus, or really, it's, it's 300 years between verse 7 in Exodus 1 to verse 10. So let's look at verse 8. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So 300 years have passed. Joseph and his legacy are no more. He's not remembered. It's, it's a thing of the past. It's, it's, it's forgotten. Verse 9, and he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mighty than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and it happened in the event of war, that they also join our enemies and fight against us, so go up uh, out of the land. Now there's two part, there's a two part problem here. Politically, they have an issue, they have problems politically, and they have problems economically. Politically, Pharaoh Worried that if the power, if their power was to rise up, if, that, if they were to rise up and, and take power, they could overthrow them. If someone were to come into the land of Egypt and threaten to take over Egypt, they could join them and take them over. And so, yeah, politically, this is, this is a, a concern. They could rise up and revolt against them. Economically, the, the Hebrews, no doubt, uh, can, contributed extensively to the gross domestic product of, of Egypt at the time. So, he, so Pharaoh must keep them in the country, but keep them out of power. So how do you do that? What do you do when you have that situation? Well, the best way you do that is slow their pr- reproduction, don't cause them to reproduce and then make them slaves so they can't, they can't rise up and, and, and take control. It says in verse 10, come, let us deal shrewdly with them. 
I doubt that the, the Egyptians had the power to simply come in and say, well, we're going to put you in chains, and now we're going to take you off, and we're going to make you slaves. I don't think that's how it happened. Though it, it kind of feels that way in a sense. No, they're not going to let them just come in. And there's too many of them. They would rise up and take over. So what, what could have happened? It's possible that because the, the Hebrews were not actually citizens of, of Egypt, that, but guests of Egypt, that they sort of you know, had an economic um, arrangement that they made. The Hebrews uh, labor in exchange for continued uh, privileges in in living in Goshen in in the area of Egypt, something like that. And then over time, slowly, they became captive and made them their slaves. Look at verse 11. Therefore, therefore they set tactics taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. Let me say this. When it comes to slavery to sin, the enemy doesn't just come and say, I'm going to enslave you to that sin that you are involved in. If he did that, then, then you, you, would, you would just go, well, no, I'm not going to be a slave. No, it actually starts pleasurably, doesn't it? Sin is fun for a season. Sin traps us. It, it starts to take, take control, but it, it doesn't look so bad from the beginning. And then we become subject to that thing, and then the more we give way to it, it then becomes a cruel task master in our lives. We think we can stop at any time, right? We, can, we think, well, it's not, it doesn't have a hold on me, but we're fooling ourselves. Before we surrendered our life to Jesus Christ, sin ruled us, didn't it? It was only through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that that the chains of sin were broken. You see, sin makes us stupid, doesn't it? Think about it. Sin makes you really stupid. It makes you numb to the sin. You don't even know that you're really doing it until you're engulfed in it. It seems okay at the beginning, but then it brings pleasure and then, and then slavery. And our Savior, Jesus Christ, was sent down to our Egypt to lead us out of slavery and into the promised land. Amen? We are set free from sin, church. Sin shouldn't have a hold on us anymore. Yet oftentimes it does. God has broken the chains and the bondage of sin. He wants you set free. Yet you've got to let that freedom come through Jesus Christ. It's only through him that you can win. 
As we see here, they put, they, they put them to work, right? They put, they put them into hard labor, maybe in hopes that they would uh, get tired and not reproduce, but that didn't work. Look at verse 12. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. Now that's God's hand. They, they, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick, in all the in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. I want you to understand something. They weren't necessarily slaves to begin with, but now they're slaves. Slowly giving way to the control of Egypt. Now, this was a hard work that they were making them do. I want you to think about being enslaved, being put in, in chains, tell, being whipped and saying, you've got to do this or, or, or else. And, and, and this is what they were under, this oppression uh, from the Egyptians. Heavy, yet the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied. That's God's hand. Who's in control here? Is the Egyptians in control? Absolutely not. It's God. God is in control. I love this about God. He, this is nothing but the sovereignty of God saying, I've got this, guys. I'm in control. Don't worry. I've got a plan. I'm going I'm to be with you in the midst of all that you walk through. Don't worry. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites that word dread means to fear, but to hate. They hated them radically, but they feared them because they, they feared that they would take them over. It's a dangerous combination. The purpose of their labor was uh, no longer to contribute to the economy. It was to break their backs and their will. So they had no will left. But Pharaoh knew that the hard labor alone wasn't enough. So he hatched another plan, another strategy. You see, sin eventually gives way to death, doesn't it? Look at verse 15. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives in whom the, the name of one was Shiphrah and the, the name of the other Puah. And he said, when you, when you do the duties of a midwife for the, the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then, you shall, then she shall live. These midwives were Hebrew women who oversaw the mid, midwife uh, practice, so to speak, of Egypt. Kind of like a, a chief um, surgeon. Well, they were, they, were communicated to, uh, they were communicating to their subordinates underneath them and said, you know, they, they were told to, to pass this information on. Every, every young male child, I want you to kill them. Newborn child, I want you to take them, I want you to kill them, and, and, and life is no more. 
Now, Pharaoh thought this was a great, great plan, but um, we know that, that God is bigger than, than that. So look, look what happens. The king was filled with sin. The king is, this man, this, this Pharaoh, this king is filled with sin and, and murder is his, his, is his plan. But 17 says this, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to the Pharaoh, because the, the Hebrew, woman, Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dwelt uh, dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. Now the question that comes to mind in this, this little, these verses is, was the answer true of what the midwives told, told them or was it a lie? To the king. It's kind of interesting to think about, isn't it? We don't really know if it was a lie or not. Um, it seems to be, but but they may have said, hey, you know what? You know, you know what, when when they're when they're giving birth, um, just wait to the last minute, and then I won't even know, and we'll we'll come over there and then we'll we'll help you afterwards. Or maybe it was just a lie completely. I have no idea. But here's the thing, all, all, all I know is it seems that, that Pharaoh believes their story and believes their answer. And God honors the women who saved the lives of these Hebrew babies. Now, God's, uh, God's perspective on, of governmental authority is pretty clear in Scripture. I'll read it for you in Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. It says, every person is to be in subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are uh, established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority uh, has opposed the ordinance of God. And, though, and, they have, and, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now, that seems pretty clear that, that God has established the governing authorities, but God will always honor someone who fears him above human authority. You see, these midwives refused to honor the king's request because they feared God instead of man. This shows us that even though we are to sub submit to the governing authorities in our lives, we must also obey God's decrees first and fear him above all else. Church, we must honor and fear God when his word clearly says, thou shalt not murder. Yet, it's, yet we're told to murder. We're going to honor God's authority over man's authority. 
God is honored, God honors these ladies here, even if it meant hiding the truth from the king. You see, as we, as we are to submit to the authorities over us, realizing it is God who placed them in that position. But when their, when their commands clearly uh, violate God's word, we are to obey God rather than man. Amen? So let's look on in verse 22. So, so Pharaoh commanded all the people saying, every son is, who is born you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall uh, save alive. So Pharaoh decides to go a, a step further. He says, I'm not going to use the Hebrews to kill their own people. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to make it a law inside the land. This is genocide, guys. This is genocide. Like some genocides that happen in in our day and age. We have genocides that happen in, in Iraq and in Uganda years past. And all these different nations, the same thing that's happening here. Life taken because they don't like them or they don't care for them. We saw that with Hitler Life just taken away. It's sad that Pharaoh can make a decision to say, well, you know what? I don't really care about this life. So you can, you can take that life if you want to. Now, I want you to picture, put yourself in the, 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 the story for a second. You had a baby, and it was a boy. And now you're hiding this baby for, for fear that it would be taken from you. And now you have this child that you're trying to hide. Yet someone could just take that child if they saw it and throw it into the Nile River. And there would be no charge against them. Because that's what Pharaoh said that they could do. You see, Pharaoh was evil to the core. And he realized that his plan was failing, so he ordered mass genocide against Israel. You know what's crazy? Is the same thing still happens today. Satan is out to steal and to kill and to destroy life. Yet God wants life abundant for us. Let's look on in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. Before we do, uh, we're going to see, uh, we've seen 300 years pass since Joseph, okay? And, and now we're, we're 300 years ahead, and now we're going to see the, the life of Moses come into play here in, in, in chapter 2. We're going to see his first 40 years, and we call those pampering years. He's going to end up in the house of, of, of Pharaoh, and he's going to grow up in, in this pampered life and, and cared for. And then, and then the next 40 years is, is years of preparation, 
where he's removed out of Egypt and he's now in Midian and he's going to now, God's going to do some work on his life to prepare him to take him back into Egypt to be used by God to deliver the people, his people. So let's look, uh, look on in verse 1. And the man of the house uh, of Levi went and took his took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. Now, we're talking about Moses' parents here. Moses is doing the writing of this book, and he doesn't tell us their names. It's a, it's a typical love story. Boy meets girl. Boy and girl fall in love, boy and girl get married, and have kids. And so this is, this is what we're seeing, and now this couple isn't, isn't named here, but we find out later on in chapter 6 that uh, Amram, uh, Amram and Jochebed are, are Moses' parents, and they ended up having three children. Now, I want to name these children because it's not in the text, but I want you to know them for, for right now. The first one is Miriam. Miriam's going to be really important in the story ahead. She was the firstborn. The secondborn was Aaron. Aaron is another uh, uh, important uh, figure that we'll see here in the future in the book of, uh, um, in this book. And and he's three years older than, than Moses. And then Moses comes. He's the thirdborn uh, of the bunch. And it says uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, a, a, a parallel passage to Exodus chapter 2, uh, references this moment. And it says in, in verse 23 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was not no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, his parents hid this child, not sure what was going to happen, yet they were, by faith, keeping him close. What I want you to see is his parents feared God more than the king, and they hid him for three months. It's not easy to hide a child, is it? Especially a newborn. Especially if, if your home is a tent. People could hear everything that was going on. You, you, you would have to hide this child, the, the cries. What, you know, that's what babies do. They cry. You're like... You're like that age, they don't, they don't do anything other than cry and poop and, and sleep, okay? How many, newborn, how many moms out there with newborns? There's a couple. So you know, like I went through that. I, had four, I have four daughters. That, that's all they did at that age. But they did a lot of crying. And yet here's, here, here at any moment, someone could come into their tent and say, who is that? What is that? and take that baby and throw it into the Nile River. Kind of crazy to think about. The fear that must have come over and gripped those mothers and fathers uh, of the Hebrew people in Egypt. Think about it. 
if that happened to your child. Pretty heavy. Verse three, but when he went, but when she could not no longer hide him, she took an ark of uh, bulrushes for him, dabbed it with uh, asphalt and pitch, and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river bank. Now Moses' parents here are showing great faith that that that's spoken of of in uh, Hebrews chapter eleven. By faith they hid him. They knew in their hearts that he was special. That this is chi- this child was was special. And they had great faith to see him live, even during this difficult time. But now they have greater faith to release Moses into the water and trust the Lord for the outcome. Now, as parents think, now parents think for a moment, you putting your child now into the river that you love, that you care for, you want to, to live, you that takes great faith to trust that something, that God's got good plans ahead for, for your child when you're putting them into the river. Now, I was just in, in Africa not too long ago, and I went down the Nile River, and let me tell you, it is moving. That, that river, it's not like, you know, some little dinky river that we have in Colorado, now this thing is moving tons of water, moving down the river, and she puts her child in the water, trusting the Lord, having greater faith to trust that God's going to have a greater outcome if she does this than to keep the child in her arms. She says, here you go, bye, hope you find a place to go. Now at this time, we have a little bit of more of the story coming. Now, I believe she, she went out knowing that this was the time where Pharaoh's daughter would bathe, hoping that maybe Pharaoh's daughter would see the, the basket and then pull it to, to shore and, 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 then, and then help the, the child. Look at verse 4. And his sister stood uh, afar off to know what would be done to him, then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked uh, along the, the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the, the reeds, she, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she, was, she, so she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Miriam here is peeking through the bushes, through the reeds to watch, what, watch what's going to happen. So they're, they're, they placed, uh, they placed the, the baby into the water and they're watching to see what's going to happen. Maybe following down the river while, while it's floating and they're, they're trying to see what's going to happen to Moses. Now keep in mind that we're dealing with uh, a very um, polytheistic um, culture. There were many gods, many goddesses in, in Egypt, and they were discovering, uh, we're going to discover throughout this book. 
And, and, and so here's this, this uh, Pharaoh's daughter. She's bathing on the water, and, and she sees this, and, and the be- baby begins to cry, and, and she pulls it in. This is God's hand again. Uh, a baby crying in a woman's heart. And she begins to, she, be, she looks at this child, and her heart begins to melt and says, this is a Hebrew, one of the Hebrews' children. Now watch what happens next in verse seven. And she, and his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse to, to, for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse, for, nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Now Moses' sister is who? Miriam, right? And she's watching this whole thing, and now she's now involved. She's like, do you want some help? I can find someone to help to help you with the baby. And she says, yes, please go and find someone. She goes and gets her mom, which is Moses' mother, and says, yes, I, I'm willing to help. And she said, take, this, take this, this child and nurse it for me, and I will pay you to take care of it until I'm ready to receive it. That's God. She gets, she gets paid to nurse her child by the Egyptians. That's crazy. When they're killing all of them. That's God. That's his love for for us. That's his love for his people. Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, I, I, I want you to go and find someone. Church, the grace of God, God's favor in difficult situations. I pray for that for you. God's favor in difficult situations. I don't know what situations you're in this week. But I can tell you that God has a hand in everything. He is sovereign and he is in control and you can trust him. Can you imagine the joy she must have felt when she received her child back? Her faith paid off, wasn't it, didn't it? Her faith was rewarded. This reminds me of a couple other fellas we, we find in, in Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Rewarded for their faith. He said, I'm not going to bow down to your God and I'm not going to bow down to you, king. King Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, well, I'm going to throw you into the fire. And so they heated it up and they threw him in. And, and, and God was sovereign and was in control in that moment and saved their lives. And they pulled him out and said, who is this God that you, that you serve? Because we're going to serve him too. That's the hand of God. That's, that's God showing up in difficult situations. And who's glorified? God. God is glorified. So Jochebed gets to raise her child, all expenses paid by the Egyptian government. It's awesome. 
Now, look at uh, God's providence in verse 10. And the child grew, and she, uh, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he began... And he began, became her son, sorry. And she called his name Moses, saying, because I, I drew him out, uh, up out of the water. Church, God's uh, providence is God taking natural events and weaving them together for su- a supernatural purpose. That's God's providence. God will take this little Jewish boy and make him a prince and give him the very best of Egypt. But here's what I want you to see. God's blessed this child, given him the best of Egypt, not so that he can just enjoy it and go, oh, this is so good. No, it's to bring glory to God. All of God's blessing in your life is for you to bring glory to God. All of God's purpose in moving through your life and touching other lives is so that you would bring glory to him. That's the purpose. Not to go, oh, it's so good. Man, I got a nice house. I got a nice car. Thank you, Jesus. So I can go home and sit back and enjoy it. No, it's for you to use it, for you to use your life to bring glory to him so that you can be on mission with him just like he's using Moses to be on mission with him as well. God wants to use you in those moments. Look at verse 11. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Moses was approximately 40 years old at this time. And most likely he was one of those that were going to be, could, could be in line to, 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 uh, to take uh, Pharaoh's place if he, if he passes away. But Moses looks out and he sees his people. He sees their situation. He begins to see with God's eyes the people, uh, the Hebrew people, and he has a burden for them. Look at verse 12. And he, he looked in this, he, he looked this way and he looked that way. When he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second, second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? And then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Did you intend to kill, to, tend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Your sin will find you out. If you're in sin and you're in, dabbling in something right now, just remember sin, your sin will find you out. Moses looked around. He was looking around and wanted to, to, to help his people. And, and so he went about it all the wrong way, didn't he? His, Moses wanted to change the situation. And he tried in his by taking the, the situation into his own hands instead of trusting the Lord. 
That's usually what happens to us sometimes, isn't it? And what happens when we take things into our own hands? We make a mess, oftentimes. You see, Moses made a mistake that I often make. He looked around instead of looking up. He he was looking around and trying to figure out how to fix the situation, and, and he was trying to fix it in his own, own strength when, when, when he needed to look up and say, God, help me. God, be there with me. And so he finds himself broken. He should have cried out to God for wisdom, yet he's now in a tough place situation. Look at verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. We're going to end there for tonight. Moses is on the run. I don't know if you've been on the run ever in your life. Maybe you're on the run tonight. Maybe you're on the run from sin or a situation and you you came to the right place. You came to the house of God. Moses is on the run trying to figure it out, trying to figure out what to do. And we're going to see that God does a great thing in his life. God's sovereignty and his grace is there. God still has a plan for Moses, even though he's killed a man. As we get prepared for communion, I want to challenge you with the things we saw. It's dark days, guys. Dark days in Egypt. Pharaoh's wanting to kill everyone, but Moses has made it through, and God's going to use him. You see, God is sovereign. He's supreme. He's in control, though we sometimes go, God, are you really in control Uh, of what's going on in my life? Are you really in control of, of all the things that are going? Yes, I am. I am am in control, and, and I love you. And you may not see the big picture that I see, but, but I see it. And, and I do have a plan and a purpose for your life and a future for you. Don't grow weary. Trust me. I've got a great plan for you. You see, God is in control. Trust him. God's sovereignty in the midst of life's difficulties. Faith in the midst of uncertainty. He's got a plan. Trust it. Lean into it. You know, you know, you know when you, you kind of lean into something, you've got to put your trust into it? Just lean into Jesus right now. Another question is, are you running tonight? Are you running from something? Just like Moses. 
Maybe you've made a mistake. Well, you've come to the right place, and, and here it, it, the communion table is the right place to, to, to do business with the Lord. You see, Jesus, he came, and he, he, he was the ultimate sacrifice to take that sin away, to, to wash it away. And, and, and that's why we come. Every Wednesday we come to, 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 to understand that, that truth and, and to live in it every week and say, God, your grace is so good. Your God is your grace is so good. Don't run. Don't run anymore. Come, come pray with one of the pastors in just a moment. Come find, find uh, someone that you can, can find prayer in and, and then come take communion. And lastly, what are you doing with what God has given you? God's given you talents. He's given you abilities. He's given you resources. What are you doing with those things? Are you bringing glory to God with those things? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we enter into this time of communion, Lord, Lord, we need your grace. Lord, some of us have been running, running from from sin, from, from problems, from all these things. And Lord, Lord, what we need to do is run to you. And Lord, a lot of us need to run to you tonight. Lord, I pray right now that you would just do a work in the hearts of those that are here. Lord, I ask that you would uh, uh, speak into the lives of those that are, that are needing a touch right now in the name of Jesus. That they've been going through some dark days, some dark times, Lord, I pray that you would find them in the midst of those dark moments. Lord, maybe there's depression, Lord, and, and that dark season is overwhelming them. I pray that they would find you. They would lean into you and they would trust you, Lord, that your sovereignty would be enough for them right now. God, thank you for being a sovereign God that is in control, that has everything in your hands. Lord, as we take communion, Lord, I ask that you would complete that, that process in us, Lord. May we come to your table with repentance, Lord. May, you, may we come to your table tonight broken, Lord, knowing that we need you. And so, Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.